You know, last week we put up some lyrics to a song by uh, the band, Van Halen. And so I started having people uh, ask if we were going to continue the 80s nostalgia uh, going forward. In fact, uh, the, a picture of our GPH was put online last week. Apparently, one of our elders was um, using social media during the worship service. Mm. If you're wondering which one, it was Dr. Hayes. That was, um, <laughs> if you're trying to figure out who it, um, <laughs> actually, Dr. Hayes, if I remember right, you were sick last week, but you were watching online, and you and Ms. Hayes were watching online, and we appreciate you worshiping uh, on the World Wide Web, and I know that there are others who are uh, doing that uh, this morning, and we are grateful for that. But no, uh, Steve Kahn put out there that um, we had a little 80s nostalgia going on, and so um, others started chiming in and giving me ideas for sermon topics for this week. I thought I'd share a couple of those with you. Uh, love is not an achy, breaky heart. We could, uh, we could do that one. What's love got to do with it? It's a good one, good song by Tina Turner. Uh, we had um, Up Next Week, Living on a Prayer. That could be good, a little Bon Jovi. I think that, um, that is um, warranted. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of my favorites was, uh, did Rick Springfield ever find a girl like Jesse's girl? You know, I thought that would that'd be a good thing to, uh, to talk about. Uh, of course, my mind went to uh, there was a song in the 80s by the band Foreigner, and uh, this was a song where uh, in the chorus you had this very manly man singing um, about uh, love and how he wanted to know what love was, and it's one of those songs that if you ask men today, hey, you remember that song by Foreigner, you know, I want to know what love is, and all the men will go, no, I don't remember that song, don't remember that song, uh, because that's the guy song that no guy wants to admit that he used to drive down the road late at night and it would come on the radio and the, he would crank it up and be singing, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Right? We don't, we don't want to admit that we did that. And yet, go ahead. Anybody want to show hands? Anybody? Yep. Steve, go ahead. Raise your hand. I know you did. I know you did, brother. Yep. Oh. It's fun, fun stuff. Um, you know, I talked about uh, God raiding His closet for us earlier, and I wanted to kind of continue with that, with that, that idea here just for a few minutes, uh, because I don't know if you realize it or not, but God has been in the clothing business for, for a long time. It's not just something that, that started with the story of the prodigal there in Luke chapter 15. In fact, you go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis and the story that we have there of, of Adam and Eve, and you find something that's really amazing happening that maybe you, you might have looked over if you just kind of skimmed over this part quickly as you've done some of your Bible reading in the past. But it's Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. Now, this particular verse comes after Adam and Eve have disobeyed God. They have been told how that all that is there in this beautiful land is theirs, and, and they can consume everything that's there that, that to their liking, and they can enjoy life there, but there's, only, there's one area that they need to avoid, and there's one thing that they 
should not do. They were told of the tree. They were told of its fruit. But believing that they could be God themselves, believing that they could actually know better than God, they disobeyed. They took what was not theirs. And and all of a sudden, their knowledge to them, it seemed, was God-like. In that they looked at one another and they had a recognition that they had never had before. And there was shame and there was regret. And you wonder, well, what's God going to do? Because he had told them that if you, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. And so you expect judgment. You expect that because the law has been broken, that the judgment or the justice would demand death. Because God is righteous. And sure enough, their lives begin to change and their bodies begin to die. And something happened in their connection with the Father. But God was also love. And so we come to Genesis 3 and verse 21, and it says, The Lord God made clothes from animal skins for the man and his wife and dressed them. Read that again. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he dressed them. Think of the scenes here. Picture it in your mind. Scene number one, God slays the animal. For the first time in the history of the earth, dirt is stained with blood, innocent blood. The beast committed no sin. It was the man and the woman who had sinned. It was the man and the woman who deserved to die. But the animal dies instead. And the, the man and the woman, well, they, they live. The animal deserves to live but dies. In scene one, you've got innocent bloodshed. In scene two, the clothing is made. The shaper of the stars now becomes the tailor to his creation. And then you have scene three. It says God dresses them. Now for a glimpse of that moment with Adam and Eve as they're walking their way out of the garden. And maybe they've been told to leave by now, but then all of a sudden God stops them. And perhaps he said, those fig leaves aren't going to (laughs) do. I know you did your best, but they're just not going to work for you. And so he produces some clothing, and he doesn't just throw the garments at their feet and says, listen, would you pick these up and and put them on as you're hurrying out of my blessed garden? It says that he dressed them. You can picture the father saying, hold still, son, and let me see how this fits. You can picture the mothering instinct coming out saying, dear, would you just pull, pull that down just a little bit? Will you just pull your hair back? Beautiful. You look wonderful. As a mother would dress a toddler, as a father would zip up the jacket of a preschooler, God covers them. Or or maybe better yet, he protects them. Because here's something that you need to learn about love. Love always protects. That brings us back to something we've been going through, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been walking through the different aspects of love, learning what true love looks like. And we started way back up there at the top where it says that love is patient and love is kind. And we've been working our way each week. And we come now to this section of Scripture where it says it always protects. It always protects. Now, here's the cool thing about that particular word protects that that Paul used when he would write to the church. He would use a word that in its original definition would talk about 
being covered. In fact, one scholar, one scholar looks at it as being clothing that's given. And he says it's the idea of being covered with a cloak of love. You could be covered by shade. You could be covered by the refuge of a home. But to think of it as being covered by a cloak of love, all of a sudden the robe and the sandals that we talked about earlier have a deeper meaning, don't they? When the prodigal comes home and his father says, go raid my closet and go get the robe and go get, go get the sandals and, and I, want you to, I want you to cover him. I want you to protect him. Because he has been out away from me for so long, and, and I see what has happened, and I, and I see how that the world has crushed him so, and now I want to protect him, and so I'm going to cover him. I'm going to cover him with a cloak of love. Maybe you remember receiving one of these before. You were nervous about a test, but the teacher stayed late to help you. He covered you with a cloak of love. You were far from home, and you were afraid, but... But your mother phoned to comfort you and to let you know that everything was going to be okay. You were innocent, and yet you were accused. And so a friend stood up beside you, covering you with encouragement, covering you with a cloak of love, covered with protection, covered with tender-hearted care. You've seen this in other areas of your life. You've known people who've treated you this way. But I want you to leave this morning thinking about God protecting and covering you. I want you to think about what he's done. You see, each of us share our own forbidden fruit. We say what we should not. We go where we should not go. We pluck fruit from the trees that we should not touch. And when we do, the door opens and shame begins to tumble in. And we feel guilt and we we know that there is remorse within our heart. But we wonder, what should we do? And more often than not, we run and hide. And one of the things that breaks my heart as a minister is that when there are times of just overt sin in individuals' lives, that instead of running to God and saying, Lord, please cover me with your protection, more often than not, we run away. Our shame leads us further and further away from our Father, further, further into areas that we should not go. We sow fig leaves. They're flimsy excuses. They're see-through justifications. We cover ourselves oftentimes in good works and, and good deeds, but just one, one gust of wind of truth, and then we're, we're naked again, and we're just stark naked in our failure, and our sin is there for everybody to see. And if I can encourage you this morning to do one thing, is that in the midst of your sin, don't allow the shame to push you further from your Father. Instead, allow that shame to bring you closer to Him, and be protected. You see, God does exactly what he did for our parents in the garden. He sheds innocent blood. He offers the life of his son. And from the scene of the sacrifice, the father takes a robe. It's not the skin of an animal in this case, but it's the robe of righteousness. And he doesn't throw it in our direction. He doesn't say, shape up or ship out. Instead, well, again, let me read Scripture. Each of you who were baptized into Christ were clothed with Christ. Isn't that a great picture? Isn't that a great thought that God longs to protect you, that God longs to cover you? His robing is, is His work. It's not ours. 
Think back again to the story with Adam and Eve. They did nothing, absolutely nothing except sin and run and hide and make excuses. They didn't come and request a sacrifice. They didn't say, Lord, if you could provide us with some better clothes. They didn't even dress themselves. Reminds us of passage from Ephesians chapter 2. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. See, there's a reason that as you pass that tray this morning, I said, would you look at the person that's sitting next to you? And even when it's uncomfortable, and even you think, I don't normally talk and speak, to look and say, this is grace. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God. You see, we hide and he seeks. We bring sin and he brings a sacrifice. We try to put on fig leaves and he brings the robe of righteousness. And he covers and he protects. But what about that ring that we learned about earlier? Remember the ring that was brought and put on the son's finger? In Christ's day, rings were more than a gift. They were symbols of delegated sovereignty. The bearer of the ring could speak on behalf of the one who gave the ring. It was used to press a seal into soft wax to validate a transaction. The one who wore the ring actually could go and conduct business on behalf of the one who had given the ring out. And so start to think about this in the terms of the father and the son who is now returned after, Scripture says, wasting all that he had been given. And now he's given a symbol of authority, and he's given this ring of expense, this ring that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my son. Listen to him because he speaks for me. Anybody want to question the father's wisdom on that? Some of you dads, maybe you've had similar circumstances with your own children. You've had the wasteful son or daughter. You've had that prodigal child and, and they've come back and you've struggled in the way in which you deal with that. You struggle with just how far you should allow your goodwill to go. And so you hear this story and you hear about the code of protection and you say, all right, I think I can do that. But this ring of trust, this ring of belief saying, I believe that you're going to do better next time. I believe that you're not going to make the same choices. I believe that you still can speak for me. That's a hard pill to swallow for many of us. But remember, before you start to question Understand that in this story, you and I are this son. And when we come home, God, God gives authority to us to conduct business in his name. You see, when we speak, when we speak truth, we are God's ambassador. We are the steward of the money that he gives, and we're his business manager. When we declare forgiveness, we act as his priest. When we stir the healing of the body and soul, we, it's as if we are his physician. And when we pray, he listens just as a father would listen to a son. We have a voice in the household of God because he has given us the ring. He has said, look, love always trust. Maybe in your translation, as you've memorized this in the past, the version of the Bible that you have read, it says, love believes all things. You've been given the ring of belief. And I guess the only thing more remarkable, the fact that we have been given the ring of belief, is the fact that God hasn't taken it away, right? 
I mean, wouldn't you expect God to say, listen, I gave you the ring and look what you've done with it. Look how you've lived your life. Look what's happened in your marriage. Look at the choices that you made at work. You would think that he would take it away. Take it away when we spoke lies instead of truth. Take it away when we, we took his gifts and used them for our own personal gain. When we took the bus to Las Vegas and said, you know what happens in Vegas, baby? It stays in Vegas. Or maybe your Vegas was Knoxville or, or Nashville. Or maybe your Vegas was just downtown. Couldn't he have taken the ring? Couldn't he have snatched it off your finger and said, you know what? I don't trust you anymore. I don't believe in you anymore. I don't think you can live up to my expectations. How many, how many a church member before has sat in a pew and left thinking, I just can't measure up. I just can't measure up. God doesn't trust me anymore. Do you still have a Bible? Are you still allowed to pray? Do you still have a few dollars that you can manage on his behalf? Do you still have some skills that, oh yeah, they serve you great at work, but could they also serve him in the kingdom? It appears he still wants you to have the ring. It appears that his love is still trusting you, that he still believes in you, that he hasn't given up on you, he hasn't turned away, he hasn't walked out. He could have, and others would have, but he hasn't, because love always trusts. It always trusts. And so we're left to sing along with the prophet, and I love this passage of Scripture. It's Isaiah 61 and verse 10. It says, "'He has covered me with clothes of salvation.'" He has wrapped me with a coat of goodness, like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding, like a bride dressed in jewels. That's you. Church, that's us. That's who we are in the presence of God. And you say, but what about my sin? And he says, what about my son? That's who we are, clothed in Christ. Would you read this with me from the screen? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. What have you just read? You have read that God has covered you with protection. You have read that he trusts you with what is most important. He protects us with a cloak of love. He gives us the ring of belief. And if you just stop for a moment and think, you can look back over your life and you can see times where his protection and his trust in you, you can see where it was made clear. Hasn't he done for you what he did for the woman caught in adultery? He protected her from the stones. How about his disciples? Do you remember how he protected them from the storms? And even during those times when they would question and ask and wonder, even in those times where they said, Lord, help me in my unbelief, he still said, I believe in you. Oh, you of little faith. How about that demon-possessed man? Remember how he protected him from himself? Remember how that, that he was yelling out in the caves, how that he was cutting himself with the stones, how that the demons were 
clearly trying to destroy him. And you think about times in your life where you've just wanted it all to end, where you thought, I can just step away from this marriage and I can step away from the responsibilities I have at work. I can step away from the responsibilities at church. I can just do my own thing. And yet there came the protection of God. There came the belief in you. He kept you from bad relationships. And yet even when you entered into some, he was there when things fell apart, protecting you from the wrong job, insulating you from, go ahead, just fill in the blank. Like hovering birds, so will the Lord Almighty protect Jerusalem, Isaiah 31 and verse 5. He will strengthen and protect you, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3. He will command his angels to guard you, Psalm 91, 11. God protects you with the cloak of love. And you say, why would he give this to me? It's because he believes in you. And he trusts you. And so wouldn't you like the opportunity to do the same? I mean, if God has covered you and if God has said, listen, I believe in you, wouldn't you like for the opportunity to be able to act that way towards other people? Moms and dads, wouldn't you like to be able to offer that covering to your children, that protection? Wouldn't you like another opportunity to say, you know what? Yes, I do believe in you. I do trust you. And I want you to know it, that it comes from the heart. We cherish the opportunity to do the same. And here's what we need to understand. We have those opportunities. Remember with Jesus talking in Matthew 25? He says, I was without clothes. And you gave me something to wear. And then people say, but, but when did we do that, right? I mean, when did we see you needing clothes and clothe you? You're the one that's always clothing me. You're the one that's, that's giving me the robe and the sandals and the ring. When do we ever have an opportunity to do that for you? And he says, whenever you did it for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You see, there are opportunities that you and I have to go and offer that, that covering of protection. We, we have these opportunities to be able to, to, to somehow allow others to know, even when people don't believe, I believe in you. And I think that you can do great, great things. I wrote down just a few here. If you know someone who could use protection, then give some why don't you pay a gas bill for a struggling young couple or an elderly couple? Why don't you promise your kids that, that God being your helper, you will, you will always stay with their mom or you will stay with their dad? Why, why, don't, you, why don't you remind your family that, you know what, we're, we might have to give up some things, but we're not going to go hungry. We're, we're not going to be homeless. Tell your husband that you would do it all over again and invite him on another honeymoon. Make sure your divorced, your divorced friends are invited to your parties. Think about those who are invisible here at church. Individuals that sometimes don't get seen that are separated off to the side. Don't forget those who are widowed, those who are widowers. Don't forget those who come from a different education background than you. Don't forget those who speak a different language than you do. Don't forget those who have gone through the, 
the difficulty of bankruptcy. Don't forget those individuals who are, who are struggling now with those sons or daughters who right now are off in that far land and, and squandering everything in a wild way. You have an opportunity to, to protect. You have an opportunity to offer that covering of love, to give that, that ring of, of belief and trust. And so you show up and you, you listen up and you, and you speak up. You, you make yourself available. And just like that father at the beginning of our time together today, you are straining your eyes, always looking for the one that's going to be coming home. And whenever someone returns, you're the first one to raid the father's closet. You're the first one to go and get the cloak of love and wrap around them. You're the first one to go and get that ring of belief and trust and put on their finger. That's why I love it when we have opportunities like we do during our worship and we have times for prayer and individuals come and they'll sit on some of these front rows occasionally and others in our congregation will come and walk down and sit around them, sit behind them, put a hand on their shoulder, sit down and hold on to their hand as it's shaking, putting that cloak of love, that ring of belief. Maybe that's what you needed today. More than anything else, you needed to be clothed again. You needed to be reminded of the Christ that you wear. Maybe you needed today to hear that you are loved and that love covers you and that love believes in you. And maybe because you've been reminded of that love, you need to come this morning and say, I, I just need to lay it all out before God. I need to lay it all out before God and I need the prayers of this body and I need to repent of, of my wandering and I am the prodigal. And I can promise you that there will be others, a part of this family, who will come and who will clothe you, and you will feel the love of God because of others who are here. And then we throw a party, we celebrate, we make merry, because the one who is gone has returned. And together, we all join the celebration. Would you like to celebrate? Would you like to come? If you do, then please run, don't walk. Come home as we stand and sing.